What are the secrets of those extraordinary individuals that have achieved extraordinary success? Listen to their stories, discover their knowledge bursts, make those connections. Get ready. It's time to start moving forward. John Lim here, and I'm really excited because we're moving forward today with Dana Oliver, Senior Director of Research and Development at Medtronic, a surgical technology company. Dana has spent his career on product development, leadership, innovation, and high-scale revenue generation, taking Medtronic from $100 million to approximately $2 billion in annual revenue. How amazing is that? He is the author of two books, including his newest one, Mantra Design, Innovate, Buy, or Die. Welcome, Dana. How are you today? John, I'm doing great. Thank you, sir. And I want to say, uh, first, it's an honor to meet you. And then secondly, it's great to be a guest on Moving Forward. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you. It's great to have you on the show. Dana, I'm really excited to talk to you. And I know that our listeners are going to be interested to learn more about you and your books. So I was wondering if you could share a little bit about yourself. Talk a little bit about your book, Mantra Design, and share a little of your career journey with our listeners. Sure. I'll try to um, kind of give a, a brief overview of my biography, I guess. I mean, presently, I'm the Senior Director of Research and Development for um, Medtronic Surgical Technologies. I've been here for the last 14 years and have, and have helped grow this business from approximately $100 million to $2 billion in annual revenues. So it's been quite a run. I'm a graduate of Northeastern University out of Boston, Massachusetts with a, you know, a, a BSME. Um, I've worked in medical devices really my whole life and for the better part of 30 years. been with several companies, Medtronic, Genzyme, uh, to name just a couple. I have um, 25 patents to my name and then, of course, I've written my two books. And, and then, of course, we'll, I guess we'll talk briefly about Mantra Design, Innovate, Buy or Die, which – at the end of the day, it reveals it, – it, I've tried to share and reveal how to identify your customers' unmet needs. Mm. And then after you do that, how you transform them onto premium-priced, patent-protected, market-share-leading technologies. Yeah, that's wonderful. And you also have another book as well, Mantra Leadership. Is that correct? Yeah, that was my first book, John. And uh, it's interesting. When I started – you know, I wasn't. It's uh, innovation and leadership. At the end of the day, are really tied at the hip. But when I started to started to write them, I had to tease them apart. So mantra leadership really focuses on emotionally intelligent leadership, which, if it's employed, you can it can result in as much as a thirty percent or more improvement in your team's productivity. Absolutely. And talk a little bit about design. I love the subtitle "Innovate, Buy, or Die." And there are a couple <laughs> of knowledge bursts that I got just reading the first couple of chapters. And, and a couple that I think so many companies fall into this trap of everything is important. When that happens, oh. nothing is. And that that just really blew me away, that particular statement when you're talking about, you know, the must have. So can you expand a little bit on that? Yeah. So, I mean, I have four tenants that I believe in. And, you know, and, and the first one is that I believe you need an art. A company should invest if it wants to grow. 10% of its revenues back into research and development. That's one. Yeah. You know, two, um, I think, you know, what I want them to do is I want them to develop their products through their customers' eyes. And we can talk more about that. But what you were talking about is do you need to st focus on the strategically few important things? Because it's funny, the, av the reason the average company fails 
is because they're too diluted. They're not focused on anything. And then the fourth tenet briefly is about managing people. It's obviously hiring the best people, but then managing them with emotionally intelligent innovation leadership. So th- those are the tenets I believe in. I talk about, I write, and preach. Yeah, also another concept which you, you hit on, which I think is so important. Talk, you talk a lot about the C-level leadership and how so many CEOs, they'll, they'll come into an organization and they will you know, try to make it look attractive to the shareholders by cutting back on R&D. And then, as you put it, you know, they'll leave the company to someone else in very poor shape. Yeah. And we have to kind of rethink the way we reward our leaders, not just for short-term gains, but for the long-term innovation. So I think that's – those are just some, I think, incredible knowledge bursts that are just in, just in the first few chapters <laughs> of your book. Yeah, thank you for that. Just thank you for the compliment. I appreciate that. And 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 perhaps I didn't ultimately answer your first question, you know, about the subtitle innovate buy or die, but it's interesting to me when I look at companies, the most successful companies that are truly growing or or what are known as growth companies, they're investing heavily back into research and development. But what I find ironic is that a company begins to grow and become bigger. Uh they turn into value companies. Yeah. And they're more interested in acquisitions than they are their organic development. But the funny part is that most acquisitions at the end of the day, it was a technology born out of another company that chose not to invest in it. Right. And, and my whole career is, is an example of going from one business to another, you know, that was a byproduct of something that was thought of in a larger institution. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Another concept, which again, I, I've quickly become a fan of this book and, and I wanted I was wondering if you could expand on this. I know you cited Steve Jobs as someone who was very good mm-hmm. at this. Is, is it takes a long time to get to simple. And I was wondering <laughs> if you talk, you could share with our listeners a little bit about that when it comes to innovation. This, it's a really, really important concept. And I was wondering if you could expand a little bit on that. Yeah, thank you for that, John. It's a great question. And, and I think, you know, it, it does take a long time to get to simple. And I use a very a simple analogy in the book, which is, you know, if, if, you, if you bought a house, and you have a living room set, at the end of the day, you, you move it in, but you're not really sure where everything goes. You need to move the TV, the couch, the chairs, and, and, and you'll do this countless times, but then you'll find a flow. Yeah. And when it's all done, you go, hey, this is great. We can talk. We can see the TV. It gives them the best you know, um, a- angles to have conversations but allows for the most viewers. And when it's, but you may have moved that room around five or six or seven times or whatever be the case. And and that's what I mean by it takes a long time to get to simple. When you're done, it's easy. But when you're developing something, engineers, how they work is they solve problems. And so they solve each problem as it presents itself. And then as you solve that, you, you, you know, you have a remedy, you, you, you continue to engine on onward. And so then you find another problem. And at the end of the, you know, it, it might take six months, a year, depending on the project length. But when you're finally done, you look back at that and say, my God, you know what? I could have combined problem one, mm-hmm. three, and five. But you can't get that until you've ultimately solved it. And that's why, you know, there's an expression, a friendly expression, which is kill the engineers, you know, because they want to continue to engineer, but it's because they see the improvements. But it's also the reason why you want to keep investing, and and those iterations allow for more seamless products. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are just some really, really important takeaways. So, Dana, as someone who does so much and who has done so much over the span of a long career, how do you get inspired each morning to conquer the day? 
Yeah, thank you for that. Well, yeah, I'm a very positive guy. Matter of fact, I call myself one of those, the glass is half full. Yeah. So, you know, when, when the alarm goes off, I wake up, I get right out of bed. You know, granted, I like my cup of tea and then I, you know, I have a workout in, in the morning. But I'm a very, you know, I'm, the, the morning greets me with a smile and I'm right up on top of it. I, I will say that uh, one of the tricks I've learned throughout my engineering career and, and also it's pretty pretty key being responsible for as much as, as I am, I need to think about each morning and that's one of the most important things I need to do you know, in the day, because if, if you miss an opportunity, you know, there's all, at the end of the day, in, in, in one year, 365 days, that results to 250 business days of work. Mm, yeah. And if you lose a business day, that means that's an incompressible moment in time. So I like to think about and ask every, every day the same question, which is what long lead item or what is the most important thing I need to do today to ensure that I have a successful day? Yeah, I love that. You know, I just recently interviewed Helene Godin, who's the founder of By the Way Bakery. She left a very successful career in corporate America and now runs an extremely successful bakery chain. And Hmm. she was actually saying that she doesn't actually like the word conquer. She likes to look at each day as opportunities. And I'm hearing a very similar theme that you get up in the morning and you see the day as full of potential, full of opportunities. And I love how you're able to look at it as a, which priorities do I need to tackle for this particular day? And, and it, t- it ties back into you know one of your first questions, John, which was about the being strategically important few things. Yeah. Again, most people fail because they have far too many irons in the fire. And the same thing happens at work. And, and, and leaders need to, and that's, it's funny, I'll go back to leadership again. And leaders want to, they want to stretch. You hear all these nice expressions like stretch goals. Well, the, re, the reality is, is that those stretch goals are, are you're pushing people beyond their limits and their capabilities. A good leader needs, needs to recognize the difference between a challenge compared to what is strategically important to ensure the success of the business. Yeah, and that, a lot of that comes down to also having the, the ability to say no to certain things, right? You can't say oh. yes to everything and be successful. I think that's hugely important for any organization or any career or business for that matter yeah if yeah one of the mantras i use right which is if everything is important nothing Nothing is is. important yeah yeah it's it's very simple but very real and there's another question i ask regularly which is what good things are we not going to do interesting so can you unpack that a little bit what good things are you not going to do because i think that is probably one of the hardest things to discipline yourself to do so it goes back again. We talk about the strategically few important things. That your your boss or any company, example, they they need to get products launched. They need to get back to a customer. They need to launch a website. They need to start advertising for a new product launch. They need to ensure their sales force is trained. I mean, there's a host of issues that are going on. So really, the question is, is you know, those are all good things to do, but if you don't rank them and, and prioritize them about what's going to be ensure the greatest success of the business in the most timely fashion, you know, you're not going to be successful. So a lot of it is looking at, okay, these all, these things all need to get done, but a lot of it is about prioritizing. So which ones need to get done today and which ones can we maybe back burner or delegate so that they can get done, but we can focus on what's the most important priority today. 
Yeah, I think that's well said. I find that um, I work with a lot of really smart people, but what differentiates very successful people are the ones that are not only smart, but they know how to cross the goal line. Mm, yes. And, and a lot of really smart people, they tend to do lots of research or, the, or they will work really hard. It's like that duck and their feet going 100 miles an hour. But if all you're doing is swimming in circles, you're not accomplishing anything. Yeah. Well, Dana, that leads perfectly into my next question. So as you know, part of the career and the entrepreneurial journey is about facing setbacks and failures. And over a long career and having written two books, can you share a time in your life, in your career, where you felt like you failed or faced that huge, what seemed like insurmountable setback, and a lesson you learned about when it's the right time to pivot or shift course? Yeah, thank you for that question, John. I mean, so again, I'll for the context of people listening, I mean, my, my team size is I have over 100 scientists and engineers. Which means I expect to have failures every week, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm okay with that. Matter of fact, I expect that. And, and, and I have two mantras around that, which are I want you to fall forward fast and you need to build to learn. Mm. Because the reality is if you don't think that you're going to fail, then you're never going to take a risk. And, and innovation and new product development is all about testing the limits and you don't know what the limits are until you find them, and that is failure. Yeah. So, you know, the whole key is, you know, when you're doing innovation, it's you have to expect to fail. And, and you're going to fail many, many times, and that's okay. Um, you know, I, I, I like to reference Thomas Edison here in, in you know, his very famous quote, quote, which was, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. <laughs> That's a great way to reframe the failure uh, question by looking at it as, okay, it's, and, and I interviewed Dr. Howard Davis, you know, founder of Dreamus, and he had a very similar way of looking at it. You know, it's the 700 tries to that one success. And really, at the end of the day, all of that is just journeys towards having that, that one success. And, and I think that's, and there's a lot to be said about perseverance. Right, so a lot of great innovators necessarily aren't maybe the smartest people in the room or the sharpest tacks. But I'll tell you, you, what you find with successful people is, boy, they they persevere and they don't. It's grit. You know, there's going to be lots of setbacks in life, but you just have to continue to forge ahead and work through those. Well, Dana, let me follow up on this because I think you've you've pointed out something very interesting. So you work with a team of scientists. You're in the heart of innovation. And as you mentioned, you expect failures every week. So as someone who has led a company that is all about innovation, have you built in some systems in place so that you can really make sure that the, the failures are failing forward and failing quickly so that you can get to those successes? Yeah, I mean, you do that by a couple ways. One way is, so like anything, it goes back to ensuring first the success. So I need to keep growing a business better than 10% a year. So for me, that means my first rule is I want 85% of my team working on technology that's been vetted and is in that rapid product development phase because those are the things and commitments that I can do to ensure growth. Conversely, I also want 15% of my people's time to be spent on innovation. Now, the innovation piece, it's, it's half-baked. 
you don't know. You're going to chase ideas and some of them aren't going to work. You're going to chase ideas that maybe we just talked about. You might stumble three or four or five or 20 or 60 times, and I've seen that. But at the end of the day, if you keep persevering forward, you're going to finally get something that satisfies your customers. You can get to a design freeze, and you can put it into that product development funnel. So the key is you want that funnel to be big. Because not everything is going to be vetted out. And you want to be able to pick and choose. You know, you might have a program that's a platform and takes a long time. Comparatively speaking, you might need to make a quick banger if you have a new competitive threat and you need to respond to that. So I like the idea of at any given time, my people are spending 15% of their time thinking about next generation technologies. So in other words, spend the time on the 15%, which may turn into that 85% tomorrow, whereas you also have your team focusing on what's the 85% today to ensure that the company is continuing to grow and that it's staying healthy. That's absolutely right. Because you know what's funny, John, is that in product development, what you quickly find is if you go to an outside consulting firm and you, you, know, you ask them to build you up a prototype of something, it's that same rule of thumb. You can oftentimes get a very quick prototype of, of what looks like and feels like an end product, but it only takes 10 to 20% of the time. Of the time, When you get into the detail and the devil is in the detail, that's when it takes that 80% of the schedule time. You have to work – you have to identify new suppliers. You have to get them maybe on your new supplier list. You have to have final agreements with them. You have to work through your packaging relationships. You've got to bring those products in, the products or, you know, or parts or pieces, which are not always right. You need to upgrade the specs. You need to put these things together. Then you have natural – manufacturing variation you need to buy capital equipment so to me it all goes back to you can do something once pretty fast (laughs) but when you need to make it you know repeatedly day after day after day that's where the devil is yeah absolutely and i'm reminded i mean the first thought that comes into my mind where the first example is is the way that apple was so innovative in you know developing cutting edge products but also you know it it really it really prioritized also developing great operating systems whereas microsoft was known for so long on developing operating systems and now they're just trying to catch up and get into more of the hardware space and it, this is a multi-billion dollar company and it's you know as you said doing something once is one thing but doing it repeatedly i mean that just it's like turning a very very big ship it just takes a lot of effort and a lot of energy to do that yeah, I think that's a great analogy. I mean, it's really interesting to me. I mean, I'm like I said, I've been around the block a little bit, and I look back at Apple, and had not IBM at the time had such a presence in mainframes, there was a lot of companies that were committed to them, not because they were all that great, but they were committed because they had very expensive hardware, and they didn't want to strip out their company. Yeah. But everyone was looking at Apple, and so just by sheer presence and by um, – dominance of, of their capital equipment being everywhere. IBM, you know, arguably stayed alive. And I find it funny that, you know, everything they're doing now is at some regards um, a, a reflection of Apple's work. Yeah, absolutely. And the influence is there. And you've also seen, I mean, with IBM in particular, it's amazing to see how you know, they, they focus so much more on consulting solutions today, whereas I think they, they mostly sold a lot of their hardware to Lenovo. So just to see how that company has evolved. But yes, you're absolutely right. The influence that a company, which was just a garage startup, has had <laughs> such a big impact on all of these other companies that have been around for so many decades. It, it's pretty remarkable. 
it, it's very remarkable. I mean, I I would argue in my lifetime. I mean, I I think we could probably say, you know, right now that Apple is the most transformational company. If you look at, I mean, think about the technologies that they've obsoleted. I mean. I you know look I used to have a GPS system in my car yeah, me too. you know my my <laughs> my BlackBerry you know that's gone I have that on my phone you have yeah. people texting and phones and you know you get you get your email download you have an entire ecosystem that these people have put together I love my my you know my iPod I, I just swear by that thing it's yeah. their their technology is phenomenal and you know who knows if there'll be another company i mean obviously some of elon musk's early work here has certainly proven to be pretty transformational as well yeah. so it's a really interesting time in people's lives yeah and i think for moving forward listeners i think some of the big takeaways for today is that you know when you're looking at innovation it's really about you know measuring your risks it's about taking risks but also making sure that you are devoting i like that ratio the 85% to what's vetted to the 15% that's really just trying something new and not being afraid to make those uh, mistakes, to make those stumbles so that you can really see and keep innovating so that tomorrow that's going to be the new 85%. Because I think another concept you talk about in your book is that if you're constantly following someone else, it's mm. it's not going to get you anywhere as, as opposed to like you need to really be able to, and I think you, you, you pointed this out, when you're investing in innovation and R&D, you're really setting the pace as opposed to following someone else's pace. It's so hard. If you ultimately fall behind, how do you ultimately, how do you ever get get it back ahead of somebody? Yeah. I mean, what you need to do is if if you're if you're obsoleting your own technology, then you're actually paving the road ahead of you. You know, you're working with your customers and you're determining what the future is. But boy, if you're trailing from behind, you're forever just trying to catch up and you can never leapfrog somebody. Yeah. Well, I mean, I there's mean, that occasion. I mean, whoever thought that, uh, you know, back in the 90s, there was a blockbuster in every corner, right? And then all of a sudden, there's this little company called Netflix <laughs> that right. all of a sudden now, I mean, you can't even find a video store anymore. I don't think even most people today don't even know what a video store is. So oh my I think God. it's a classic example. You're naturally right, and what's funny about you know the blockbuster scenario? And you're right. I mean, I that was that was like a religion. You know, come Friday or Saturday, everybody and their brother in town was racing there trying to get the latest releases in Blockbuster because they were so big and had a presence. They actually had the capability to buy Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. And and they also had the capability to invest in streaming as well. And to get, you know, they had the capital, obviously, to really jump into the forefront of that. But it looks like, I mean, again, it's it's that whole rule of if you're just putting all your eggs in one basket, it might be the 85 today, but it's not necessarily going to be your 85 tomorrow. Yeah. And, and, you know, and a good thing, you know, what I do a lot is that, you know, obviously running research and development, I'm forever when, you know, I, I do lots of reading, I go to conferences, I talk to users, looking at a lot of technology, because if you're not aware of those potential disruptive technologies out there, boy, you're, you're going to get caught with your pants down. Comparatively Absolutely. speaking, if you're aware of them, you know, everyone wants to partner with number one. So if you're number one, you're innovating, people know it, and, and you, know, you own the lion's share of, 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 of the market, then even all those disruptive technologies, they're going to want to come to you first. Yeah. So it's, it goes back again to you have to continue to invest in R&D and show that you're an innovator and not some just massive presence 
that's hoping to acquire. Because you know the other fatal flaw is that when when you begin to rely on acquisition focused uh, growth companies, there's no guarantee. One, you're paying a premium. You you typically pay 35% to you know a premium price on somebody. So that means you're you're getting someone else's shareholders rich. Two, you're you're all you're inheriting their mistakes. Sure. I mean, at the end of the day, nothing is perfect. And and three, God forbid, but if you have a competitor, you're not guaranteed. You know, maybe you have a first right of refusal, but boy, if you miss that disruptive technology, you could find yourself really in in a terrible position. You could lose massive market share, and then how do you get back in? Yeah. Well, and also, this probably calls back more to your first book. I mean, when you're an acquisition-driven strategy, you're taking on companies whose cultures may be vastly different from your own and integrating all of these different cultures. I mean, I worked for a company that was really built on an acquisition mm. strategy, and I saw the pitfalls of that, you know, the expense, but also integrating the different cultures and the the leadership gets very muddled, the messaging gets very muddled. And again, it goes back to what you said earlier, that if everything is important, nothing is yeah that's john that's well said and i think you describe the ecosystems very differently when you're an acquisition company you're not thinking about you know uh cutting edge innovation but all you're thinking about is my god what, what i have to do a gap analysis yeah. what did that company do and where did where did they have flaws in their engineering or logic and you're re-engineering their work and i, and I find that i do a lot of acquisitions here at Medtronic and I find that at the end of the day boy if you just let me develop this organically from the first place I could have done a better job Mm, yeah yeah absolutely well Dana we're now going to move into the knowledge burst session and this is where our guests share three game-changing resources and tips that can benefit our listeners so they can move forward. So Dana, I'm excited to ask you, um, (laughs) has there been a particular movie, book, song, or I'm going to add to this cultural experience that inspired you to move forward in your career? Um, I I wouldn't say not specifically in my career but boy there's been several movies i mean yeah. i loved i love tom cruise's top gun that was just a great movie and <laughs> i think we're coming and, and and we're on the what the 30th i think that's the 30th <laughs> anniversary of that movie if you can believe it oh my lord i think they're actually going to do another one i, I heard yeah, that yeah i've heard yeah there there have been uh, talks of a uh, sequel for quite a while on that one and, and certainly, I'm, a, I'm, you know, I am a fan of the Rocky series and the Rocky Three. You know, the Eye of the Tiger. So I would say that obviously they were inspirations in a different way. I mean, I, you know, they were very motivating yeah. to me. They only didn't tailor or, or craft my my career decisions, but they're they're fun. They're happy. They're uplifting and motivating. And they've got great soundtracks. What more can you ask for, right? <laughs> yes, well said. Well, Dana, share a daily practice or habit for prioritizing and managing your time. Yeah, it's a good question, John. And funny, we talked about it earlier. I would tell your listeners that, again, each morning, not only each morning, but I ask myself each morning and each evening, what are those key critical goals or long lead items that I need to address in order to have the day be successful? Because a day lost is an incompressible day's time. Yeah, absolutely. And do you use a particular, and this leads into my next question, do you use a particular app, website, productivity hack? And I've had people say, I just use a pen and paper. So do you have a particular (laughs) tool that you use that has been a game changer for you? I mean, well, first off, if you come into my office, I'm, I love Post-its. 
Yeah. <laughs> and so, brilliant you know, invention I, from was it 3M? Well, I think. I mean, it was 3M by accident. Yeah, by by pure accident. I mean, yes. I mean talk about innovations. It's an it's another example, but I mean, so for me, it's funny with computers, right? You you put a note, or you you might be something important, but it becomes out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to me, the beauty of Post-its is I will write you – know, again, I ask that question, what's important, and I'll write it down on a little Post-it note so that I'm looking at it all day long. It, you know, In the barrage of emails and phone calls and meetings, I keep looking at that little Post-it like, my God, in, in the flurry and the busyness of the day, make sure I get that one little note written thing done and as far as like uh an app it's not an app but it's certainly it's a it's a website and the Mm -hmm. wikipedia i love it is just so powerful i mean if i ever want to remember you know a name a date an event or or get a little background information boy you can just type in a couple things and wham you know, you, you, you just have a plethora of information. Well, and again, that's another – you're citing another great example of innovation because when that was first released, the whole con- – there was so much resistance to the idea of crowdsourcing an encyclopedia. And there were so many uh, people who just kind of balked at that. And, and to see how that's become such a ubiquitous resource, I mean, it's just pretty – it's amazing to me. Yeah, that's very, very well said. And I think that's the you know that's the beauty people are finding right when they look at the internet is obviously there's a lot of bad um, that you get with it, but there's a lot of very powerful things as well. Yeah, well, the accessibility alone, I mean, just to me that has been such a great equalizer. You know, if you're if you're looking to make a change in your career or if you're looking to start a business, I mean, there's so many great resources out there and you know you can start with wikipedia you can start with google and then you could just do a complete deep dive into and learn almost any industry you want to it was interesting i was reading uh, I, you know I'm, I'm part of linkedin and there was an interesting post and and this one gentleman um asked the question what would you be what, would, what do you want the next president to know and his response was technology not taxes mm. And and as he as I read for more into that, he expanded. It was great, and I forget the gentleman's name, but I want to you know one of those circa give credit to him. But he said, look, he goes at the end of the day, ignorance is around education. And if you think about computers and you think of on online power, think about all these online educational schools. So instead of trying to cre- create more institutions or to tax people and put more teachers in place and, and more uh, program job programs, think about what if you just educated people. Think about India, you know. So their whole goal was, man, let's let's educate our country, yeah. and and when you do that, boy, great things happen. So for me, the internet offers this very potential. Almost everyone has either a mobile phone now or. or computer and you think about boy how powerful can it be now to to educate online yeah absolutely again if you want to look at the hallmark of innovation there it is i mean the ability and i consider myself a lifelong learner and the ability to have access to all of that at your fingertips on a mobile device i think that's just one of the most incredible you know hallmarks of today's age it's it's uh it's like you said apple it's 
truly a transformational company and has just changed people's lives. It, I mean, I can remember growing up and seeing, you know, those funny commercials where it was still phone lines. Yeah. And, you know, and they, and some visionary actually had a guy on the beach walk out with a suitcase and was tanning himself, opened up his briefcase and he had a, you know, there was a portable phone and had a fax machine and a computer. (laughs) And at the time it was very Star Trek-ish, you know, because none of it existed. But you look today and you go, Mike, it's real. It's all very real. Well, it's funny you mention that because I really think science fiction in many ways, and I'm a bit of a science fiction geek, but a lot of what we saw in those movies really inspired, I think, a lot of the innovations that we see today. Yeah. I think it's like anything, right? When you stretch someone's mind, people – and that's a trick. I use that all the time. I challenge people. You know, here and if I can tap into their brain, people—the brain is an amazingly powerful tool, and it'll just process. You know, twenty-four hours a day, and people come, will come up with ideas. So one of the tricks that I use with my R and D team is that if I know we have, example, uh, an aging platform, or, or, or I'm seeing that you know we need to have, develop some new features on a given product, or we're talking to a customer and they're talking about a problem or a challenge. You know, I'll challenge one of my guys and say, hey, how do we solve that? And, and maybe we'll, you know, we'll do a, a quick little brainstorm around the water cooler. Or we'll walk into lunch and talk for five minutes. After I've embedded that challenge, boy, that individual will think all the time. They're reading a book. They're yeah. you know, flipping through a magazine. They're on a plane. And people will send me a text or a mail. Hey, Dane, I had this wicked idea. <laughs> and, and it's all because you have to tap you know, that, that lower brain. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are great knowledge bursts. And Hey, moving forward listeners, you can find links to many of the books and resources mentioned by today's guest, along with offers to try out Audible and Amazon Prime. These are affiliate links for which I receive a small commission, which helps the podcast and is greatly appreciated. You can find these on the write-up for today's episode at bemovingforward.com. Well, Dana, we have listeners from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life from many parts of the world, and some of whom are struggling. Maybe they are at a point where they've hit that, uh, what I like to call that writer's block for their career, where they're not sure what their life's passion or purpose is. And, And as an innovator, what can moving forward listeners start doing today to ignite that part of their brain so they can start making those steps to move forward. Yeah. I mean, change is hard. Yeah. So I tell people two things. One, believe in yourself. Whether you've done it or not, just believe in yourself. And two, I take this is a fantastic takeaway is that successful people are not, are not afraid to f- fail. Yeah. But they are afraid of not trying. Yeah. So your listeners need believe in yourself. But try. If you don't try, you you know, 20, 30 years from now, you're going to look back and, you know, you're going to curse yourself. Sure. So I think you have to just look at that and say, my God, just take a risk. It's okay. And we talked about it. It's okay to fail. Yeah. But the, 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 the lesser is worse. Well, Dana, as uh, let's say we have a listener who's, who's listening to this right now and, and really getting inspired, but they're still kind of hiding behind their cubicle and thinking, <laughs> oh, I just don't know. What is, a, what is just a small micro step that they could do today that would get them on the right track to being more comfortable with taking risk? Yeah, I think the first thing to do is even if you just start journaling, mm, you know, so let's just point. say you, you have a business idea. 
Well, what you can begin to do is start asking the question, hey, how do I explore that further? So maybe one of your to-do lists is, hey, I want to go out and on the web or I want to go to the library or I want to, ask, I want to go maybe interview a friend of mine who is in that business or I want to go read an article or two articles or three articles before the week's end. Just journal something down which is part of your journey to help you get more comfortable. You know, maybe you you know you read a book on business, or you read a book on innovation, or you know you email a friend, or just one little thing to to one step further, one step closer. Yeah, moving forward, listeners, this is what I want you to do right now. If you're at your cubicle, take that stack of post-it notes and journal something, just like Dana pointed out. I mean, write it down, and I I absolutely agree with you. The physical act of writing it down does something that I think you just don't get if you just type it into a phone or if you just put it into an app. So I I absolutely love that. Journaling, I think, is just such a great way to just put something that's in your mind and and it gives it that physicality. It's that first step is having it written on a piece of paper. Yeah, it helps focus. And it's funny, it goes back when I was taking courses at you know, uh, Wharton Business School, University of Pennsylvania. I was, boy, I had been in business for well over two decades and I had an instructor ask me, she said, Dana, what's your leadership and business philosophies? And I was stymied. I sat there and I could, and I could not coherently you know, articulate what my philosophies were. And after that, I started to journal. Mm. And, and that was all about refining what my, my, my beliefs and my philosophies were. And funny enough, that also ended up being part of the straw man yeah. of my books. Yeah, well, that's wonderful. Yeah, that, that's great. I love, and, and again, that's, I think that's also really important because you hear that so many people have a book in them. I think there was a New York Times poll that uh, <laughs> 98% of, of, the, uh, of the population wants to write a book and only 2% of them end, actually end up doing it. So I think if you're journaling, you know, not only are you helping ignite some part of your brain that will help you take some risks that may move you forward and in great leaps mm. and downs, but that may help you in terms of the great book that you have in you that you're preventing yourself from sharing with the world. Yeah, it's great. I, and, and, and writing a book is just an amazing process. You have to be very vigilant, of course. Yeah. Uh, but don't do it for the money. <laughs> do it for the love of it or do it for you know the, your end career yeah which well, is and also to help those who need this information because i think i mean just like i said i mean reading just the few first few chapters of uh mantra design i mean there were so many great knowledge bursts that uh, just really just i was just saying yes yes this is this is exactly <laughs> exactly right and uh, i think that you know when you're writing a book that should be your mission i mean always picture who it is that's going to benefit from this information yeah, thank you for that, John. And that's funny. That's my writing style. Is that, a, and uh, what I try to do is is continually give uh, benefits and pointers and testers. You know, point after point after point. It, so you 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 need to read no more than a page before something good comes out. Absolutely. Well, Dana, what is next for you? Yeah, thank you for that. So, John, I plan to retire from Medtronic, and I'm actually going to start my own consulting business uh, under the name Innovation Leadership. And naturally, I'll be you know doing nothing more than uh, consulting and being an educator around both innovation and leadership. So, I'm looking very much looking forward to that. Yeah, and that's that's ex- really exciting. I love the fact that the word retire doesn't mean it's just you know it's the end. I, I love that you have another exciting venture that you're going to move on to. 
yeah, I'm, I'm probably busier now. I, it's been crazy busy between writing the books and and even now. I, I mean, between doing you know either radio interviews and or uh, magazine interviews and now speeches, and it's just it just continues to pick up more and more and more. That's fantastic. Well, Dana, how can our listeners connect with you and learn more about Mantra Leadership, Mantra Design, and your new consulting venture? Oh, thank you very much, John. I would tell people to the best place to go is my website, which is www.mantra, M-A-N-T-R-A, leadership.com. And that's Mantra Leadership, one word. And what I do is I post um, I, you can get a pre preview of my books as well as I post on uh, you know magazine and or radio interviews and just like this one, John, I'll certainly post ours. Uh, well, you know you. when we you know, when we're done and, and and it allows people to to there's so much free information there that they can read and get a flavor of who I am uh, and, and what I write and preach about. There's just there's a lot of knowledge there, so that's where I tell them to go. Fantastic, and we'll have that posted on our website as well. Well, Dana, I want to take the time to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to speak with our listeners today, to share your journey, your knowledge burst on innovation, and your experiences so our listeners can move forward. Well, John, again, thank you very much for first. It's been an absolute pleasure to meet you, and secondly, uh, to have me on a guest on Moving Forward. Uh, I very much enjoyed our conversation. <laughs> I felt like we touched on a lot. Uh, there's a lot of tidbits there, and I hope uh, I hope your users are, you know, are, you know, would love to maybe pick up a book and read on more. Absolutely, and we'll have both books listed on our website as well. Thank you so much, Dana. John, thank you. It's been a pleasure, sir. Moving forward, listeners, there were so many great knowledge bursts from today's episode, but there's one, as I wrap up today's interview, I want to call back to one that I thought was really, really impactful that can benefit you in your business or in your career, especially if you're thinking about the future, you're thinking about tomorrow. Am I going to stay in this job forever? Maybe I want to make a change. Maybe I want to make a pivot. Or if you're a company and you're thinking about, okay, we're doing really well today, or maybe we're not doing really well today, we've got to start thinking about what we're going to do tomorrow. And it's this idea of the 85-15 ratio. And what was really, really incredible is the way Dana really illustrated how innovation works at at a big company. I mean, think about growing revenue from $100 million, which is already phenomenal, to $2 billion. And how does that happen? It doesn't happen by doing the same thing that you're good at today every single day. It doesn't happen by relying on the same products and services today without changing or adapting them for tomorrow. So Dana talks about obsolescence. And there's two ways to look at obsolescence. Either you are following someone else and you are going to become obsolete. The market will do it. Your clients will do it. It's just the it's just the nature of being in business today. Or you can drive the obsolescence. And think about Apple. What does Apple do? When uh, I got my first iPhone in 2011, I was a bit of a late adopter. I was on the BlackBerry. Speaking of obsolescence, I was a BlackBerry user for many, many years. I I love that thing. It took me a long time to actually switch. But I switched to the iPhone 4S in 2011. And to me, that was like the shiny new object. It was the coolest thing ever. Think about it now. You talk about an iPhone 4 now, it's an ancient device. Why? Because... Apple pretty much made it obsolete 
with its next iteration, the five, the five S, and now the six. And I have a six, and that's quickly going to become obsolete. There's already a six S, and the seven will probably be out by the time this interview airs. So Apple is controlling the pace. Now, what they're doing is they're devoting not only energy and time into their current products, but they're already thinking ahead to the next iteration. Now, let's apply that to your career. You may be very good at what you do today. You may love your job or maybe you don't love your job. Either way, it's what you spend a lot of time at and it's what earns you your paycheck every other week. If you're not putting in some of your effort and time, and again, the 15 rule I think is pretty good, 15% of your time or energy into learning new skills, thinking about what's important for tomorrow, then you may find yourself becoming obsolete in it. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week, maybe not even next year, but in the next two years perhaps. Think about how the market is rapidly changing. And if you're not innovating yourself or your, your business, then you are at risk of becoming obsolete. So as Dana talks about, his mantra is innovate, buy, or die. And really what that is, is it's all about controlling the obsolescence. Either you're going to become obsolete because the market says so, or you're going to drive your own obsolescence. In other words, I what I'm doing today is great, but it's not necessarily what I'm going to be doing tomorrow because I'm putting in time now to learn new skills and new areas that I didn't know before. When we recorded this interview... I mean, be, even between now and, and the air date, there's been so many changes. I mean, think about over the summer, the biggest thing that has just been released, Pokemon Go. I mean, this is mind-blowing. In less than two weeks, this app eclipsed Tinder, and I think it's now eclipsed Twitter. I, I may be mistaken on that. But it has really changed the way people are looking at mobile apps and gaming. Augmented reality, I think, is the next really big tech innovation that we're going to see much more of. And Pokemon Go is just, its I'm still floored by the fact that this is what kicked it off. And Niantic was probably thinking about this for a long time. They were looking at what is the next thing, and they looked at augmented reality technology. So think about that in your own business. Think about that in your own career. What skills do you need to develop today? And Dana gave some great tips. You know, journaling, I think, is a great one. Write it down on a post-it. If you're thinking about picking up a new skill or thinking about developing a new business, start the small micro step of writing it down. And of course, to learn more about Dana and his amazing work, as well as his two books and all of our phenomenal guests, check us out at bemovingforward.com. Follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Have a great week. Join us next Tuesday for another extraordinary guest. Now it's time for you to move forward and unlock the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and Bali Solutions, LLC. All rights reserved.